Welcome to the Holden Village Podcast. Holden is a community of education, programming, and worship located in the remote wilderness of the Cascade Mountains. These snapshots provide a glimpse into the learnings taking place in our community. Let's tune in to this week's highlight. Welcome to week four of the Holden Village Podcast. I am with the wonderful dynamic duo, Ian West, also known as E, as well as Joey Lopez. So what are you teaching at the village this week? Yeah, so this week at the village, we're sharing lessons that we've learned over nearly four years, working with the Faithland Initiative of the Church Council of Greater Seattle. And for folks who are listening, the Faithland Initiative accompanies faith communities in King County, Washington toward acts of dignity restoration and community-based stewardship of land. And we do that through a faithful and equitable lens. So it's combining the missions of these faith communities along with anti-racism and faith-rooted community organizing tools to shape their discernment processes and in some cases their community engagement um, and taking transformative action in their communities. Beautiful. How did both of you come to join this collaborative process? Yeah, I think the story for me is my sort of professional background is in um, faith-based community organizing, particularly with queer and trans entities across multiple denominations. And a huge part of that faith-based community organizing is practicing discernment with faith communities who are, who are at the time, were discerning their level of um, explicit welcome and inclusion of queer and trans people into their faith community. And was curious when doing that work how that toolkit that had existed for 20 years and had grown and evolved could be used to support other transformative actions faith communities could practice discernment around. And got connected with the church council and as we were just moving toward living into our Faithland initiative through our discernment cohort and really came on to help shape what that curriculum, that discernment curriculum would look like for faith communities. Grounded in these anti-racism values, grounded in these sort of community organizing principles. So faith communities were thinking about how to utilize their underutilized land in ways that really supported the neighborhoods and those most impacted by systemic oppression literally next door to the church. You seem to be focusing on the word discernment. That's one of my favorite words. I grew up in Southeast Asia, and so a lot of their faith-based teachings with discernment is how do you discern what you're attached to and what you're fearful of. And on that topic of faith-based learning, is Lutheranism something that both of you have been associated with, or are there other denominations or other cultures around the world that have resonated with both of you? We both grew up in the United Methodist Church, uh, so and we also both went. We both are from the East Coast, so it's that specific flavor in some ways of the United Methodist Church. Um, I will say, as far as Lutheranism, Holden really has been my. I think most complete introduction to Lutheranism. I've had friends, of course, who were Lutheran and have been to Lutheran churches prior to coming here, but I feel like this was my first sort of immersive experience. Um, the Church Council of Greater Seattle is an ecumenical organization and always has been, and we are increasingly moving in an interfaith direction and have been for some time, actually. So um, while our prime or sort of primary constituency 
um, our Christian faith communities. We do work um, with across across different types of uh, religions and spiritual traditions. I can say for myself personally, I have resonated with some aspects of Buddhism um, over the years, and I appreciated what you said about discernment um, coming from you know your experiences. I think some of the questions that we often are grappling with as Joey and I and our other colleagues over the years have accompanied faith communities in the Faithland Initiative um, have been around issues or you know just genuine feelings of attachment, of fear of what's coming next, um, fear of even taking a step forward uh, because there's so many different pieces moving and people have uncertainty. Um, and move in urgency sometimes or don't move at all. It's sort of a polarizing uh, effect. So I feel I feel what you were saying with that. I think helping people move through the emotional side of attachment so that they actually can be clear enough about what actions they need to take next, I feel like is a huge part of what we end up doing. Yeah, as E mentioned, I grew up United Methodist and, and still pretty active within the United Methodist Church. Throughout my organizing life. I've worked in United Methodist related institutions, Presbyterian related institutions, Episcopal related institutions. Um, And actually, I think I got my first deeper dive um, within the ELCA as a trainer with the Organizing for Mission Network um, during the pandemic. And so that was really my like diving into the deep end of the ELCA uh, (laughs) and working with folks who are part of that organizing network and supporting them in their local contexts for organizing. So I've dabbled across the denominations a bit. Beautiful. <laughs> um, this is both of your second time at Holden? This is my second time at Holden. My first. Okay. Welcome, welcome. Thanks. And welcome back. I guess a, a question for you, E, specifically is um, how would you describe how coming back has, has changed your like view of Holden or enhanced what it feels like to live in community or being in such an isolated and remote area? Also, curious to hear about you know what your first impressions are as well, Joey. Great question. I think I'm still working through that since we're <laughs> still in the midst of the week. I'll say the first time that we came Um, It was myself and then our former colleague, Melly Morales, and we came the very first week of the season. Uh, That's a very different experience. Very different experience. And it was was intentional for us to come that week. Uh, Stacy was really excited for us to come in with this larger cohort, uh, which included Glocal, the musician group, um, and included several indigenous trainers from across the country, um, among others. And so our sessions really meshed in a way that showed that intentionality. This time around, when we were thinking about what sort of experience we wanted to have, some of the reflections from the previous time is that coming back so close to, for me, Juneteenth, and then for Seattle and for us um, as queer and trans people, Um, so close to Seattle Pride that it was a hard transition to make uh, doing that back to back from Holden to back to our normal lives and so we wanted to come a little bit after that sort of full sprint and so we decided to come this week and we also were blessed with the beautiful weather uh, because last year we definitely did not have beautiful weather uh, (laughs) during that week so I think sort of to, to wrap it up I think what I'm working through now mentally is I've had some really cool experiences 
that I'm not sure would have happened if we had come again that first week. But there are also things that I miss about particularly the groups of folks who I now understand came again that first week um, that we didn't have the pleasure of, of sharing space with them this time around. And just thinking about how um, our curriculum, even for the week, may have shifted if we had been in that same faculty cohort. Gotcha. Yeah, because last year that's, we very much adapted based on who we were with. So that's, yeah, something I'm working through, but I will say something I've really enjoyed this time around that I didn't experience last time and has really made the experience. I feel like I've been able to connect with staff a lot more than last time. Beautiful. Um, yeah, people have just been so, so welcoming and I think they're really in their groove. Whereas last time people were still very welcoming, but they were also, you know, up and running themselves. And so we're kind of focused on what they were doing. And I connected more with the guests last time. So I think that's a, a nice difference that's adding a, a new flavor to my experience at Holden. I think one of the things that comes to mind for me around sort of the communal aspect that is Holden is this like, what does it mean? What does it take to practice community with over 300 people, right? This is the largest week of the summer. Over 200 guests. Um, and, like, it's the, like, really interesting and fun and, like, juicy parts of, like, communal life when you have so many people from so many different places. And those values start to, like, collect and rub against each other. And then there's also this practice of, like, clarity of values because welcome and inclusion may mean one thing. But to you, it may mean something else. Absolutely. And so how do you start to build that clarity? Not necessarily to get in, onto the same page, but at least to be in the same chapter. And so it's kind of interesting to sort of to sit back and sort of watch this sort of culmination of values grow in such a large communal space. The summer theme is Eden is Calling. I'm curious for the both of you, what does that mean and what have you been wrestling with in that theme? I think when I think of Eden is calling, I think of a, a better world is calling. I think that's the the bare minimum um, of what I think about. And in our last session for the week is encouraging people after going through the previous sessions to bring together their own stories, which are rooted in their own context, um, whether it's related to their faith community or their sort of individual life. Um, and think about, you know, what does it look like to both materially and spiritually, morally, relationally, however you want to think about it, um, do things with your community that lead to transformation, that lead to that better world um, in a way that's rooted in not just your own individual vision, which may be great, but is in conversation with the other folks in your community who maybe have not had as much opportunity to craft their own Edens, or perhaps their Eden has been taken away, right? Yeah. Um, and so that's something that I've been noodling on while we've been here. Admittedly, you know, the theological piece, I feel like is the hardest part when it comes to most things, um, but especially at Holden, cause I'm like, wow, this is like way over here. And then I feel like our work is very, very much in front of us. It can get very nuts and bolts sometimes. And in some ways it is nice to be able to zoom out a good amount and look down with a, with a framework. And I think Eden is Calling is a good framework to kind of put together with the nuts and bolts of our work and say like, what are we aspiring to, right? What are we trying to encourage people to envision? I think a huge aspect of the work that we do with faith communities is to, to really get them to get grounded in 
their vision for the world as it should be or as it could be. The theme, Eden is Calling, gives us inspiration to think about what that could be. And like for me personally, that's like a deeper practice collectively of like anti-racism and leaning in towards sort of like what does joy and liberation look like for everyone and like who gets to experience that joy and liberation first or who gets to experience that joy and liberation because for so long they haven't and how do we like really start to to lean into the recreation of that world towards joy and liberation so yeah i'm just curious yeah what are some associations that both of you have with uh with those two words, joy and liberation. What does that feel like, sound like, or? I think for liberation, this is very, very, um, very basic, but my entire life, I wanted to be able to leave my house, theoretically at any time of the day, and if I wanted a Twix, like a Twix bar, I could just go and get it and not have to report to anyone that I'm doing that um, or account when I get back and demolish the entire thing in like 30 seconds. Um, as a kid, that was my dream. And then as an adult, I remember the day I decided for the first time to just do that at like 10 p.m. and went to a 7-Eleven, got my Twix, came back and had my moment and went to bed. So for me, that is honestly one of the That best. is beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. For sure. <laughs> The thing that has like been bringing me the most joy, which in and of itself joy is like deeply an act of sort of leaning into a liberated self, it is sort of um, being able to cook, being able to like be in my kitchen and just cook with no boundaries of time, making a full, you know, three course meal for, for friends and then having friends around to just enjoy to just like sit and eat and like it be one of those moments where the you finished eating 20 30 40 five minutes ago maybe even longer but you're still just sitting around the table sort of passing around the wine or the water and just like continuing to talk and just exist together i think that brings me so much joy it unearths those values that like help me understand what my liberated self would be or could be. Mm. Mm. Beautiful. You see, there are similarities with both of your answers that food was also, you know, it's like, food is Our most basic self. That's, yeah, totally. That's, 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 that's fantastic. Yeah, that's can fun. I also say one more thing around yeah. the joy piece of course, specifically? Of course. I will say I have felt joy here at Holden this week. And you asking that question made me realize that I've, I've felt specifically that emotion. And I think that the porch has a lot to do with it. Mm -hmm. And I think, uh, so Joey and I are, are here with a friend, um, Rachel, who's just sort of our, our plus one, our, our biggest groupie, if you will, <laughs> um, for the week. <laughs> and I think that the three of us, we've had some of our best times together. And I think individually and as, you know, duos, et cetera. Um, when we've just been able to hang out on the porch at various points of time in the day. And I think specifically, I feel like last night we had a, a really nice time with just, you know, sharing um, a drink together and watching the parade go down the sort of main road and, you know, making jokes and, and having a nice time and the weather was perfect and the sunset was happening. And it was just a very idyllic kind of moment. And I think that container, that sort of space, 
during that time facilitated a, a, the rest of a very lovely evening that we ended up having having that we didn't expect necessarily to have. It wasn't like on the schedule. So I have been thinking a lot about what types of physical spaces do I need, um, do maybe people larger you know, need to really feel um, your highest sort of emotions, uh, especially positive emotions. And I think porches are something that are really important for me. I'm actually really glad you brought that up because porch chilling is real and you have the best one in the entire, in the entire village. Chalet 2 has an amazing porch. Chalet 1 has a good one as well. There should be a whole manifesto on like, you know, the, the etiquette of like porch chill. Yeah. Um, okay, awesome. This can be like a two-sided question and you can answer it in any which way. One is how would you like to see your work evolve? And another is, are there any particular topics within your work that are particularly controversial or things that you've always wanted to say? Yeah, that's the two-headed question that I have. I think speaking to the first side of that question, how would we like to see the work in... We've talked a little bit about this, so some we and then some I, I think, in answering this, how we would, how we would like to see the work evolve. Something that I think we're becoming increasingly aware of, both because it's kind of obvious if you do a little bit of research, and then also because people are literally telling us and we're experiencing sort of the, the solo nature of some ways of the place we're at as a place for faith communities to discern what they're doing, but not necessarily technically enact what they're going to do is, you know, in this space, there's a lot of creativity. And I feel like a lot of faith communities, especially the ones that come to us, they come in often sort of single track minded. A lot of them, and for good reason, are very focused on um, addressing homelessness and displacement, usually through creation of affordable housing, which that is great. That is one amazing outcome. And we're very happy to facilitate that happening in the world. And there, there's just a real need for places where faith communities can explore all of the options that are rooted in, you know, rooted in values, um, rooted in an organizing process that builds power, and there's not a lot of spaces for that in the country. And that's something that we're very much feeling. Um, so I think, you know, right now we're focused very much in our local context. I think that makes sense. And it's good to be in a place where we feel very confident and our, our support can be extremely hands-on because we know who all the actors are, many of the actors are, um, where we're at. And at the same time, I could see down the road a bit uh, scaling to support others. Um, and I don't know if that needs to be national. I think even just Washington as a state would be enough because <laughs> um, there are many faith communities in Washington. And this is, I think, generational work that we're a part of. This is not going to go away in five years or 10, even probably 10 years. So that's one thing that I definitely see. I'm hoping that, you know, we can be around for the long, as long as we need to be around, right? We don't want to belabor it. If it, if it needs to go away, it sure. needs to go away. But I think we are necessary, and I'm hoping that as more and more examples of faith communities taking time to do discernment work, taking time to go deep um, in what they're doing and, and go slowly so then they can ultimately go fast right down the line, 
um, that that inspires others to maybe shy away from the let's just call up the first developer and you know and and do all the other stuff on the back end usually messily and unsuccessfully and instead you know decide to discern a bit so that's something that I think I'm excited for and excited for all the possibilities that can come out of that as far as the Edens we can create. I think the piece that's coming to me from the question is the like, what's the bit on the more controversial end? I think E and I stand really firmly in sort of our power and our place um, in supporting and sort of facilitating, convening and accompanying faith communities in their discernment process. So we know and we share and we believe and we honor this commitment that like, we're here to support you in whatever process you discern is best for your faith community. The outcome is the outcome. We trust you to design the process. And I think that like more controversial bit of that is that like for myself and and I, I think for E2, and jump in if I'm wrong, like we have very clear intentions of what we like long to see faith communities do, right? We, we realize what we work with predominantly and historically white faith communities more often than not. And the ways in which white folks in this country, in the state of Washington, in the city of Seattle, were able to access and acquire land was very easy. I think as part of our longing or our, our own sort of inspiration or passion for this work is like, what does it look like for those resources to be sort of mobilized toward supporting, um, restoring dignity to, building power with BIPOC communities, right? So like, what does it look like? These resources, these assets that have been acquired or taken to, to really be given, mobilized, redirected toward BIPOC communities to live into the world as it should be. But if a lot of churches heard what they we, need to hear it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if they heard, like, they're always nervous that, that we're just trying to, like, take their land and give it away to someone. But, like, we don't do that. That's not us. <laughs> right. That's your, your decision to make. We're going to support you if you decide to develop affordable housing or if you decide to do nothing at all but you like did a process or if you decide to like gift your land away to a BIPOC led group. We're going to support churches in any way shape or form but like deep deep down like our inspiration our passion our like motivation to do this work is is about that resource mobilization to support to really support BIPOC communities because of the way in which access to land and the power that comes with access to land has like always benefited white communities. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to view the links in the description for more information or visit our website to find out more about the village. We hope you will make a pilgrimage to Holden. Blessings and peace to you.